Please stand clear of the doors. Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas. It is my job to protect all the animals of this reserve. Epcot Center celebrates human achievements and innovation born from imagination. Hello, I am C-3PO Human Cyborg Relations. Welcome aboard the Star Speeder 3000. W Radio, your information station. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 597, and I'm here once again not only to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience when you go to the parks, but I also want to bring you some of that Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, my live video broadcast every Wednesday night, blog, special events, books, audio tours, and more. Whether it's your first time visiting or you've been to the parks hundreds of times, if you're planning your next vacation to the Disney parks or just love the history, details, secrets, and stories, there's something in the show for you. Because each week, I'm going to take you from the parks to the screens and everything in between. If you're a new listener, thank you. Welcome. Please go back and check out some or all the past episodes for interviews, top tens, reviews, and more. You can subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcasts and find everything else at www.radio.com. So this week, as I continue to seek to highlight some of the incredible creatives at the Disney Company, we turn once again to Imagineering and former Walt Disney Imagineer Josh Shipley. He shares not just his journey from a young age to cast member and eventual Imagineer, but his experiences in a variety of roles and disciplines at Walt Disney Imagineering. Josh discusses some of the many projects he worked on for Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Hong Kong, Tokyo Disneyland, and Disney Sea, as well as his time working on various projects in the theme parks for Marvel. Josh also shares guidance for those looking to seek their own path to Imagineering, valuable lessons learned, and his predictions not just for what's ahead for Marvel in the Disney parks, but some fascinating insight into the future of themed entertainment. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and I'll pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show as I'll have more information about upcoming WW Radio live broadcasts, your voicemails, and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. One of the missions and the goals of this show has always been and will always remain to not only bring you some of that Disney magic, but also help introduce you to some of the people, both on stage and off stage, who have been instrumental in creating those experiences and memories for you. And this week, as I continue to highlight the journey of some of these incredible creatives at the Disney Company, we once again turn to Imagineering where my next guest spent more than 20 years. From Walt Disney World cast member to Imagineer, he is someone who today still remains a fan first, but continues to live the dream. He is former Imagineer, 
and former podcaster, designer, dreamer, and doer, Josh Shipley. Josh, it's good to see you. Hi, Lou. Thanks so much. That was a that was a very kind introduction. <laughs> uh, and I think as we talk, we're going to find out that all those things are true. And we'll get to the podcasting stuff and your uh, your podcasting <laughs> cohort, sure. as it was. Who, by the way, teaser was a former guest on the show as well. So I but, believe it. Yeah. Well, listen, um, you good guys who found each other and uh, and and did really good stuff. But I want to sort of go way back because I think sometimes. It, it's important to frame a, an adult, I use that in air quotes, an adult-ish career <laughs> in terms of where we came from and, and sort of going back to your background. Um, you know, you really started um, in, in the theater, literally yeah. started in the theater, which helped sort literally. of uh, your, your trajectory a little bit. Yeah, very much so. I mean, that, I'm, a, I'm a theater kid. I, my my whole family, you know, they're entertainers. My mom and dad are entertainers. My my mom had a you know platinum album in 1960. I mean, you know, performers, all that kind of stuff. And by the time I was born, when I came around, I was a uh, I was number five of six uh, of our kids. And uh, um, the, uh, we had a a community theater in uh, started in Upland, California, and then moved to Ontario, California. And uh, um, I was just kind of born into that and didn't realize as a, as a young kid that that was unusual. I mean, all my friends were recruited to come and be in shows with us. And, and uh, you know, I just thought that was normal. And turns out that's really not normal. <laughs> but uh, uh, that, that did lead, you know, further into my life and became eventually, you know, uh, the trajectory for my professional career, um, which, uh, again, stayed within the entertainment realm, but became themed entertainment with Walt Disney Imagineering. Well, and I have to, and I, you know, I always look for sort of takeaway lessons in that. I think sometimes, especially as kids, we, we do things or we have jobs or maybe even sometimes things that we don't think that we want to do at the time. But as you look back with hindsight being 2020, you probably learned so much from that time with your parents, whether it be storytelling or even just some of the practical aspects of, of lighting and perspective, both forced and otherwise, um, it, you know, at what point do you realize, hey, maybe I want to do something beyond just because I figured at some point your parents are like, you're going to run the theater, you know, when we're done. Right. And that's going to be your career. Well, and, and I, I can't say that those were necessarily the words spoken, but as a kid, <laughs> you, you know, you tend to think, you know, this I'm learning a trade, you know, I'm going to be running the theater just like my parents. And, and so, yes, there, there was a little bit of that expectation. Um, but uh, the, the reality of that was, you know, as I'm getting uh, into my later in my teenage years, um, my parents had been running this uh, theater for 23 years straight with only two weekends dark in those 23 years. And uh, they were tired. They were done. And so uh, they sold the theater. And, and for me, you know, as a teenager, I'm like, hey, wait a minute. I thought I was supposed to take over and do this when I got older. And again, it's not because they said anything. You just kind of think that. Um, and then, uh, I mean, realistically, it's then the, okay, uh, I'm used to the theater. Am I supposed to like go to Broadway or something? I, I don't really know if that's what I'm prepared for. Um, but growing up in Southern California and Disneyland is my playground. Um, all of a sudden it was more and more of a reality of, Hey, wait a minute. I think, the the skills that I have grown up with, uh, like you said, you know, uh, there is so much that's involved on a technical side. 
you know, with the, with the, the, the lighting and the staging and um, set work and costuming. And, and you start going, Hmm, I think this does apply to my love of theme parks. And, and I did make a conscious decision to start pursuing a career within the, the Disney organization, um, ideally at Imagineering. Um, but I just knew that, uh, my, my skill set from a, from a young age probably did apply itself, uh, in that way. So, so were you a Disney fan as a kid, whether it be, you know, Disney channel or, or movies? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, all of the above. Uh, like I said, you know, being close enough to, to Disneyland growing up, I mean, we did go there a lot, you know, I was quite familiar with Disneyland in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, but, uh, films, absolutely. I mean, big fan of animation. Um, Probably the, the theatrical side of me, you know, one of my, my deep loves of Disney has always been music on all levels, whether it be uh, soundtrack scores uh, to, you know, actual songs. Um, you know, as a, as a very young, a young kid, I mean, I knew uh, Richard and Robert Sherman by name because I was a fan of what they uh, had created, you know, that kind of thing. Um, books, I mean, I'd go to Disneyland and, and just look for anything that maybe I hadn't seen yet, you know, uh, on, on the book side. And, um, and then I would just, you know, voraciously go through and, and read and, um, and, and, and same with, you know, live action and eventually Disney channel when that came around, um, you know, all things like that were of interest to me. Uh, and to this day, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily want to go down these rabbit holes necessarily, but uh, there is a, there is a, a Walt Disney company of 2020 that we all, you know, can appreciate and consume. Um, but for me, uh, very much going back in a nostalgic way, uh, there's a Walt Disney uh, that really speaks to my heart in a, in a very emotional way. Well, and, and talk about living the dream, right? Being Disney fan, being from the theater, your first role at Disney was actually not in Disneyland, but still very theatrical, not backstage, but on stage <laughs> here at Walt Disney World. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, right now I'm actually wearing a shirt I'll, just for you who's, who, who can see me. Oh, well. I dig it. Um, it's, a, it's a great movie ride shirt. So my first ops job, my first job for the Walt Disney Company was on the great movie ride at Walt Disney World. And... Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I've told this story before, so the, you know there are some people out there who have probably heard it. But you know, when you're growing up in in Southern California, and uh, you know, really the, the way you get places is uh, when you're little, people are either driving you there or you're riding your bike. Um, Walt Disney World was worlds and worlds and worlds away. I mean, I never thought as a kid that that would be someplace that I'd get to go. Uh, and then you know, as you get older, you know, you start branching out a little bit more. You get your driver's license, all those kind of things. You know, your world starts to expand and become bigger. And uh, uh, eventually, the fact that my very first Disney job was in Florida and not California um, was very interesting because uh, uh, I, for a great part of my life, just never thought I'd even see the place. You know, little kid's mind doesn't go that far for me. Um, and, and that was it. It was, uh, it was 1992 at what was then, you know, known as Disney MGM Studios. And... Uh, uh, I went out there on the college program, which I always encourage people if they can, if they have the opportunity to, to pursue, it's a good foot in the door and it's a good uh, learning experience for, for the Walt Disney Company. Uh, but it was going out there and, and saying, you know, hey, I really want to be in 
um, attractions. And, you know, you know, there's kind of that, well, you know, you could end up anywhere. You could, you know, and they list everything. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I understand. And then I got out there and it was uh, uh, here or right before going out there, you know, yes, you're in, you're in attractions at the studios. And I'm like, oh, cool. All right. And then I get out there and they're like, okay, where do you want to work? If you had your pick. And they said, oh, if I had my pick, I want to be on the movie ride. And they kind of chuckle. They go, yeah, everybody says that. <laughs> You know, if you're at Magic Kingdom, everybody says they want to be on Jungle Cruise. If you're at the studio, everybody says they want to be. A, I'm like, okay, well, I, you asked, so I just told you. And uh, But they did put me into the audition uh, for that because you did have to do a cold read audition for management um, at that point in time. And I made the cut and, and and got to go into my training as a tour guide and then eventually as a, as a gangster, as a baby-faced gangster. Um, and, uh, and that was my experience there. I, and uh, I mean, 92, it was a while ago now. I look back on that so fondly. I mean, I loved it then. I love it now. Uh, just an amazing experience. And um, I, I don't mind actually verbalizing and saying, you know what? The movie ride didn't age well over the years. <laughs> um, we now know that, you know, it's, it's, it has its replacement. But, um, but at that point in time, in 92, an amazing, fun, really fun place to work. You know, what was interesting, and I and so I have sort of a, a two-part question. So, one, what was your intent? You know, when you said, I'm going to do the college program, I want to go and work at Walt Disney World, yeah. what was your intent going in? Because it obviously probably changed a little bit coming out because while you were there, you very much were not just sort of always taking things as they were, but you were always looking for ways to change and improve things i think probably because of your theatrical background so how did you yeah. what was your your mindset going in and then as over time how did that change as you as your cp ended well okay so the, the mindset going in was definitely um okay this is a first step um it, it was you know like i said you know at, at one point in those later teenage years it was i would like to work for the walt disney company and ideally i would like to work for walt disney imagineering because i believe that's a theatrical aspect with the stage and all that so the idea of going in, even in a starting ops position was, what can I learn? What can I figure out um, inside the parks that are relatable to me uh, to, to be able to take that next step? So it, it wasn't random. It wasn't just like, you know, hey, this is great. I'm going to take a job at Walt Disney World and go play for a while. It was, it was very much structured for me personally to go out and, and get an idea for what was there. The, uh, you know, we had uh, specific courses that we would have to take as part of the college program. And mine was uh, management Disney style. And I have my, my doctorate degree and all that from, you know, from doing all that kind of stuff. But the, the classes that I would specifically take um, were very much driven towards Imagineering uh, that were offered there. And uh, it was, you know, it's interesting that, you know, years later, you know, you, you start to cross paths with some of these people. It's like, hey, you came out there and gave me that college course. And I'm like, oh, really? And, um, but that was definitely, you know, my purpose was, okay, what can I figure out from this point? Um, I had already started to scope out, you know, what I would do in California, but I also knew that it was probably going to be, you know, uh, baby steps. Go to the park, uh, you know, entry level something, you know, the, the, the cliche of, you know, do I need to get a job in the mail room, uh, you know, at the studio, those kind of things. Um, because I, I do actually believe that there is a step-by-step -step process. Um, uh, not necessarily everybody's life, you know, is, is required to take those step-by-step -step processes, but at least, uh, in 92, that was definitely, you know, what I had set before me was, 
I'm going to go out there. I'm going to learn. And, and I spent a lot of time uh, just devouring what I could on property. I would, I would uh, pick up extra shifts. I would do uh, uh, crowd control shifts over at Magic Kingdom, um, which I thought was a blast. I loved doing that. It was a, a spectral magic at the time and crowded and crazy. <laughs> Um, I, uh, I answered a, an audition call for a, a, a Walt Disney world commercial to be filmed and went and filmed tons and tons and tons of spots, um, for a Walt Disney world commercial. And then, uh, ended up not, none of the spots or I believe were ever used, at least not that I ever saw, but I ended up spending, I think three days with uh, the director and the crew filming all around the resort when I was really only supposed to go in and do one little spot uh, at Epcot on one day. And then I ended up uh, just hitting it off with the crew and they were inviting me back to, to you know, hey, be a part of this tomorrow and come do this. And then they invited me to their rap party at the, the Grand Floridian. And I'm like, like cool. I, I just jumped in. I just got involved because I really, well, <laughs> not just wanted to know, but I loved it. Mm. You know, one uh, I had a roommate who, um, wasn't necessarily there at the get-go for for uh, that type of a work trajectory. It was more there because hey, there's a lot of fun to be had. And um, and at one point near the end of our program, he said to me, "He goes, how do you get to do all of these things?" And I said, "Because I love it. Mm-hmm. Because I'm looking at the bulletin boards, and because I'm paying attention to the eyes and ears, and because I love it, and I want to be a part of it, and I want to volunteer, and I want to do this. And you know, all of that eventually led to to more and more things. And and something that I feel is important in all of that, and it's a byproduct of it, because if you're not doing this with sincerity and heart, uh, it doesn't work the same. But a byproduct of all of that is your network. Mm. All of a sudden, you're meeting these like-minded people who not only do they take interest in you, you're taking interest in them, but then opportunities are gradually you know, are opening up, and they're remembering you, and you're remembering them, and you're, you know, you're able to, to help one another because you know, you've connected on a, on a, a level of, of, of passionate interests. Well, and I think, again, sort of a, a just something to pull out from that is, you know, one thing about the Disney company is, one, they like to, to promote from within, and they promote, I think, really based on, and I know it's somewhat of an overused word, it, it really is because of the passion, right? And you can teach anybody yeah. any, you can teach anybody any role, but you can't train for passion. Either you have that love and desire mm-hmm. and that heart to do it, or you don't. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. I actually am an advocate for those that have passion and, and sincerity about what they do. But I also know that uh, there is a, a, at least a professional work contingency out there that can consider that a liability. Sometimes passion <laughs> can get in the way. And I've actually heard that in meetings, you know, about, you know, check your passion at the door type of scenarios, um, which, which, which hurts. But at the same time, I do believe that some of the greatest things that we have received to consume, you know, whether it be in the parks or in film, uh, have a, a strong connection to somebody's passion behind it. Well, and, and especially for a big corporation like this, you know, we talked about your, your time at Great Movie Ride where you were looking around trying to figure out, oh, how this can be changed, this can be improved. You know, your dad was a director, so you had sort of that mm-hmm. directorial, um, right. you know, sense in you. So, but you can't be like, you know what? We need to get rid of this entire scene and do something else because it's the reality of the situation. But, and there's nothing bad about that because it helps to, 
you know, improve and certainly they see in you uh, that kind of drive and desire, which which obviously continued to help lead your career. Um, but when you came out, you didn't necessarily think about Imagineering first. You started looking to feature animation, correct? Right. Right. And uh, the, the reason for that, though, is, you know, at that point, at that point in time, it was uh, um, uh, what was it? Peter Schneider. Peter, no. Mm-hmm. Is it Schneider that Peter was Schneider? president? And then uh, and then Tom Schumacher is VP. Um, but uh, there was very much a, a theatrical side to animation that was, uh, you know, going through the the gambit at that point. I mean, you look at the the, the resurgence with the, the musical formats and all that kind of thing. Uh, so for me, that seemed to make a lot of sense. And then the more people I talked to that were within Disney feature animation, the, the, the more I realized that they also had this this um, theatrical eye towards things. And I mean, and, and you've mentioned it, I mean, because my dad was a director and the, the ability to look at things in a critical way about how can that be improved upon or how should it be staged correctly. I was starting to find that there were a lot of similarities within the way that uh, um, a feature animated film was was constructed and put together. And uh, somebody that I had become really good friends with at that time uh, that used to uh, be part of Disney animation was Ron Diaz, who is a, known for, as a, for, a background artist and a, a lot of... Uh, um, different styles of art and different studios. And, uh, and we would talk and I would start to realize there were things about animation, at least behind the scenes with animation that I didn't necessarily know and understand as just a fan when watching a movie. And I started to go, Hey, you know what? This is familiar to me. I bet you that is the place I could go in and just be a PA, you know, I'll go in and I'll, and I'll be able to learn some stuff. But with, and, and I, I, I did start doing a lot of interviews with feature animation, but uh, anytime they would ask me, where do you see yourself in five years? I'd say, oh, at Walt Disney Imagineering. <laughs> and they'd go, why are you interviewing with us? And, you know, and I'm not, I wasn't, you know, saying that to be insulting to them by any means. I was just saying, you know, oh, well, you know, I, I actually don't know what the foot in the door is with Imagineering. I don't know what, what one does to, to become an Imagineer and, and, and ideate for parks. Um, and so I'm going with what I know and, and a skill set that I know that I can apply. And, and usually the answer would be, oh, OK, that makes sense. OK, well, at least, you know, you know what you want to do. And uh, I kept getting passed along. I mean, at first, like I said, it was like, you know, if I could just be a PA, that'd be great. And then I'm getting passed along into in different producers. And 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 uh, I end up in in Tom Schumacher's office. And uh, and at that point, he's just looking for an assistant. but. Uh, uh, what was supposed to be like a 10 minute, you know, interview. I mean, and, and I'd gone through some gauntlets, you know, you can get to that point and then I'm sitting in his office. Right. And, uh, and that ended up being an hour interview with him saying, you know, do you, would you really be happy in an assistant role? And I'm like, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he goes, he goes, you would be so miserable in this job. He goes, you need to get your hands dirty. You need to be on the floor. You need to be doing the work. That's who you are. He goes, I could hire you today and you'd be miserable. I'm like, Oh, but I want a job, Mr. Schumacher. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but he was right. I mean, and, and I'm glad that he was being honest with me, too, in that situation. Now, ironically, I, I did get an opportunity to start at Imagineering just within weeks after that, after that meeting. But something that was really cool is um, Tom's assistant at the time uh, checked on me uh, two different times while I was at Imagineering just to just see if everything was okay. I mean, she would, she would check in and say, hey, Tom. Tom just wanted me to check. 
make sure you're okay. Make sure everything's cool. I mean, he had nothing to do with my job at Imagineering at all, but it was still a level of like, you know, he just wanted to make sure that everything's all right. I'm like, yep, things are great. Things are good. So I, you, you, you have absolutely no idea where your paths are going to come from, but be ready for them. I mean, if you, if you let that open door pass you by, you might not get another opportunity. You'll, you'll get an opportunity, mm-hmm. but, but those open doors, you never know what they lead to. And for me, it was like all of that, that hard pursuit for feature animation, it, it actually did end up applying itself. And it, to this day, I still have a very strong network of friends in the feature animation realm, not just because of that time of interviewing, but because of how much I learned and how much I love and appreciate the hard work that they put into it from what I learned during that time. Well, but you, your dream comes true, right? You get your job at Imagineering in, in, you know, mid 96 and day one, man, it's exactly what you envisioned. It would be the entire time you sit, you thought about being Imagineering. Um, (laughs) Tell us about (laughs) what your first day at WDI, what was sort of, what was your title and what was your very first job? Well, so uh, I came in as part of the, the scenic artists, um, uh, grouping of, of people. And, and for me, I'm not necessarily a scenic artist, uh, um, by that, by trade, but you know, Hey, doing the set work backstage, all that kind of stuff at the theater. I mean, it did, it did have a connection. So, um, I was brought in over at the North Hollywood facility, which we just called Tahunga because it was on Tahunga Avenue. And, uh, that was Mapo, you know, manufacturing production slash Mary Poppins. Um, so, all of the the building was happening in in this facility in North Hollywood. I was brought on for Animal Kingdom to help do some stuff. I didn't even know exactly what I was going to be doing. So that first day, I walk in. It's this amazing facility. I mean, we called it the Toy Box at that point in time because it was unbelievable. I mean, you you walk in and and there are things in motion and moving because there's animation being tested, large and small. There's there's a plastics department and where things are being molded and there's sculpting going on. There's, there's painting, there's, there's costuming. I mean, it's this whole facility that uh, all the, the machining of, of animatronic figures, you know, you got guys sitting down at their machines and, and, and handcrafting stuff. And it's just the most amazing thing I could have ever even imagined. And, uh, and for me, it was like, and you're going to be fireproofing backdrops outside in the sun. I'm like, sweet. <laughs> I mean, I really, I didn't care. I was like, this place is amazing because everywhere I looked, it was just unbelievable. I mean, there were, there were giant uh, letters sitting out propped against one of the fences uh, for uh, Tower of Terror, um, which I don't know if they were just mock-up tests or whatever they were. There, was, uh, there, were, there were track pieces out in the back for uh, ride vehicle testing. Um, uh, it, it just everywhere I looked, it was, it was overstimulation. And, uh, and and I'm outside in the California sun, uh, uh, just fireproofing some backdrops for don't even know what. And I didn't care because it was like, this is pretty awesome. But uh, I, I would say, you know, after 20 years, if I was still standing out back fireproofing, I'd probably uh, <laughs> not necessarily think it was awesome. But at that point in time, it was, it was exactly what I needed. And it was what I needed to be learning, too, because... Uh, I, I think oftentimes, um, especially in, in some of the uh, the internship programs that have been created, 
sometimes, you know, people can be brought in and inserted at a certain level, even just for a short period of time, but they're inserted at a certain level where they don't necessarily know how much work is happening before that level. And so for me, I felt like it was a, it was a good humbling experience to be say, to be told, you know, you're going to be fireproofing. And, um, because really I wasn't skilled or qualified to be doing, you know, some of this large scenic artwork. And I mean, to this day, I'm not, that's not who I am, but I knew that. And I didn't, I didn't want to be, you know, falsely classified in that way because I'm looking at these journeymen that are creating, uh, I mean, literally like haunted mansion portraits being painted, Mm -hmm. you know, inside that building. And I'm like, Oh, it's the most amazing (laughs) thing ever, but it's not something I aspired to. It was just, I could appreciate it. Um, I feel like it's right that people are allowed to work at a level where they can learn to appreciate how much uh, is it goes into something. And fireproofing a backdrop actually is a pretty good example of, huh, didn't even think about the fact that that had to happen. And it's not glorious. You never know. You know, it's not like you're going to go to the park and say, you need to take a look at that <laughs> because underneath all that beautiful art of Pinocchio, fireproof next time i take my kids to animal kingdom like i know the guy that fireproofed uh, this whole park i mean i'll just embellish a little bit but well that's a pretty big embellishment (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, all right so uh, again you know you don't have to necessarily see the entire staircase from that very first step um tell us about your your time um from fireproofing to when you to leading up to you becoming a senior show artisan um, well, okay, so the the senior show artisan route was all within that scenic uh, division. But uh, again, I mean, we we've got these 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 people in there. My brother, actually, being one of them, who still is um, an artisan for the company at Disneyland, working on uh, the uh, audio animatronic figures, things like that. Um, for me, I, I'm still like thinking about the fact that it's like, okay, I, I'm a I'm a creative writer. Uh, I'm a, um, a fan of digital art, which, you know, in that was 96. So at that point in time, it was, you know, I'm tinkering around with Photoshop on my own. Um, I've got a, you know, I've had a home computer just for a couple of years, but the idea of, you know, a, a digital art and, and video edits and things like that are fascinating, but I'm in the scenic division. And uh, uh, I eventually, happenstance, get get recruited to learn how to paint uh, silicone for the dinosaurs of Animal Kingdom. And uh, the reason why, it, it had nothing to do with, hey, check out this guy's portfolio, because it didn't exist for that. Um, it came from the fact that uh, silicone paint was was a scary new medium, and a lot of the uh, the artisans in the building didn't want to touch it. And I was a young kid who didn't know any better. And when asked if I wanted to learn how to paint silicone to paint dinosaurs, I didn't even hesitate. I said, yeah, that sounds really cool. If you think I can, and I go, yeah, we'll guide you and teach you. And, you know, you're painting scales and color and washes and like, okay, this sounds really cool. Um, that, that provided me a way out of, of, of doing the fireproofing. But then the next little door that opened up, you know, still in Animal Kingdom had to do with the, the digital aspect um, where, you know, all of the, um, uh, I still refer to them, countdown to extinction vehicles, the uh, <laughs> dinosaur vehicles. Um, those were all being fabricated within plastics inside the same building. You know, those big, huge Indiana Jones style, you know, shells. 
and uh, and also being painted. But those are are covered with all kinds of you know futuristic graphics and data and things like that. So all of the graphics were being done uh, in house, and it was a couple of the guys that were part of the paint department that had a a, a vinyl uh, printing and cutting machine, and they were just figuring it out uh, on the fly. And they were doing a great job with you know just the basics of what needed to be done. And and one of the days I wandered through and I'm like, Hey, what program are you use? And they're like, Oh, it just comes with its own thing. And I said, wow, you know, you could probably do some really cool stuff if you imported some, you know, raster images out of Photoshop. And they went, what are you talking about Photoshop? And I said, Oh, you guys don't, you don't have, I was confused. I'm like, you're Disney. You know, I, I my mind thought that they, they were equipped. No, no, no. This, this was just a tool they were using and uh, and they were figuring it out on the fly. And I said, well, okay. So I'll, I brought in my copy of Photoshop 2 and I installed it. And I kind of showed them. I said, look, you can do this kind of stuff in Photoshop. And it would make it look even more cool. And they said, okay, you can start tinkering a little bit more. I said, oh, really? I can like spend some time in here doing you know these kind of things too. And yeah. And eventually that became my full-time position was the digital side of, of that. And so I, you know, I painted several of the dinosaurs, but eventually it became... Um, we have so much more of this digital stuff coming through. Um, you know, would you be willing to embrace this? And I'm like, yeah, I actually really like this stuff. It's really fun. And, uh, but also from that, uh, it came more and more opportunities because I'm looking at, at, uh, problem solving. Again, we go back to that director's eye on things and looking at ways that things could probably be, uh, changed and made, uh, faster or easier for the, the scenic artists inside the building. Uh, and then even starting to work with the, the carpenters on things too, because you know I'm now starting to use a lot of digital aspects of things that ended up being super helpful just for the carpenters on that end of things. And uh, uh, that's what eventually became you know, more of my title as, a, as the senior show artisan, but uh, I still didn't quite fit correctly within the, the, the department. Of, of show production, there was a little bit of butting of heads that was going on because this digital thing was new. And finally, the head of, of the, uh, the show production unit over there pulled me aside and he said, um, I'm pulling you out of show production. You're now going to be reporting just directly to me on these things because there was just too much um, confusion uh, with the job responsibilities and, and, uh, and we called the title, uh, we called the department uh, digital show production. And then um, I continued to run that for, you know, several, several years uh, as that became a more and more important aspect of how Imagineering was um, embracing and doing things. And just the way that things have evolved over time from a production standpoint, that kind of thing is so common now, it wouldn't be it, there wouldn't be a digital show production person involved anymore. It's, it, but at that point in time, it was new and it was shiny. And, and, and that became, you know, again, an unknown stepping stone in my career that I never even anticipated. And that was because, not because of the, the theater actor production side guy, but because my hobby side was, hey, Photoshop and digital art is cool. And I knew how to use the tools even enough as a fan um, to help me excel in the in the work environment. Well, what I love is that you approach them with, hey, here's another way to do it. And yeah. they didn't say to you, hey, kid, 
we're Imagineering. We kind of know what we're doing. Like we've been doing yeah. it this way forever. They embraced that and and welcomed yeah. it and sort of cre- almost you know gave you or created that position for you because of you take the in- the initiative to say, hey, here's another way we can do this. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, there was I think there was also you know the the two main guys that were in there doing it already. I think they were enjoying the work. I don't think that was a problem. But they also had such strong skill sets as as painters, as 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 artists in that format, that there was also a a still a pull for them to be out of that office chair, back out onto the floor, painting. And so, uh, it, again, yes, it was interesting, but you know, they they still had something that was pulling their passion and their love within the building. And for me to walk in and say, "This is cool. What if we tried something like this?" and and it wasn't even because it existed it was literally it's like what if there were a lot of what ifs involved and and for them it's like well if that's how you think then how about it (laughs) here we're gonna we're gonna call you the digital show production designer go do your thing that's exactly what it was and and uh as as i mean we don't need to go into these details because this is just nuances but when i eventually did move over to the, uh, the glendale campus the digital show production designer, which was on my business cards in English and Japanese and everything. So many people were like, what is that? Because I was the only one in the whole company. There was no hierarchy of this classification. It was actually created for something very specific and it truly did confuse people. And, and, and I, I reported for the longest time to the head of the model shop. And even she would say, she goes, you're, you're a complete anomaly. And I'm like, I know. And it, it, it helped me a lot with a creative aspect of my career, but, but it also uh, created frustrations throughout my entire career too. Because when you are an anomaly like that, some people are like, great, we know how to use an anomaly. Joe Rohde was that way. Tony Baxter was that way. He's like, we can totally embrace you. Other people wanted structure. They wanted mm-hmm. form. And the digital show production designer, creative <laughs> designer anomaly was was too hard to uh, to wrap their heads around. It was like I don't have time for that. Yeah, well, like you said, you're, you know, they're also used to doing things the same way for so long, and and yeah. you know, they don't sort of know what what sort of bucket you you fit into. But to for you, it leads you to doing graphic production design for all eleven Disney theme parks, Every all the park. cruise ships, yep. you know, many of the resort hotels. Yep. You know, if I was to sit here and list all the attractions we you worked on, we'd be here all day. But, you know, in addition to Countdown to Extinction slash Dinosaur, you worked on Star Tours, Buzz, mm-hmm. you worked in my favorite park, and look, I'm a Walt Disney World Homer, but Tokyo Disneyland and Tokyo Disney Sea, Pooh's Honey Hut, yeah. Storm Rider, Twenty Thousand yeah. Leagues. Yep. Sinbad, Muppet, yep. Tower of Terror, Midway Media, yep. and the list literally goes on and on and on. Yeah. Well, and and the thing is, you know, you know keep in mind because I, and now that, you know, those listening have an idea of what all that means, it's like, you know, yes, I was involved in a digital aspect. My my job slate on any given day involved several different attractions or shows for several different parks because I'm I'm a person providing a a, a skill set and I wasn't assigned to a specific project. Now, a lot of people at Imagineering end up being on projects, you know, and so they are on Tokyo Disney Sea, 
And even within Tokyo Disney Sea, they are on Sinbad, you know, that kind of a thing. For me, it's like, no, I'm showing up and and I'm juggling both Disney California Adventure and Tokyo Disney Sea on my plate. And then all of the attractions and shows and theaters within, depending on what, you know, uh, digital graphic uh, things are involved, you know, in there. And they, they do vary in degree. Some of them were small, some of them were really big. Um, but all of that was, you know, what I had on my plate, which is why, you know, the, the, the portfolio looks as large as it does because I was jumping around and, and it got to the point where it's like, I had multiple, multiple machines and I'd be going and going and going. And, um, I think, let's see the longest shift. I think I worked was because I was, uh, let's see, I was doing a, a, a Tokyo Disney sea, um, piece. I think it was a 36 hour shift and, 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 which is uncommon. I'm not saying, hey, kids, you want to get a job in Imagineering, you got to work your 36 hours. I'm not saying that. Please don't. Um, but it was, it was one of those things where I had so much going on and so many plates spinning. It was like, you know, people were coming in in the morning and, and a couple of them were, were actually taking notice saying, isn't that what you wore yesterday? Like, yeah, I don't know. yeah. Yesterday, isn't it the same day? Like you lose track. Of- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but so just to sort of help frame it for, people who are listening we, we talk about you working on all these attractions and graphic production mm-hmm. designs and multimedia design and you know what when you take your children to tokyo disney sea and you put your hand on your son's shoulder and say you know behind there i fireproofed all that <laughs> but what what really are things you know was it is it scenic artistry is it set fabrication you mean what what do i what like if you were, so we talk about the attractions you worked on, you know, specifically what, if you were yeah. to go, yeah. I mean, I mean, Disneyland being the, the more common and Walt Disney World being, you know, secondary in terms of, you know, being able to share those kind of things with people. Um, it, it is hard. I mean, I mean, I, I did joke about, you know, the, the idea of, you know, behind that, you know, painting is, <laughs> is but I mean, there there is some truth to that. I mean, uh, you know, just recently at Disneyland uh, last year, so they repainted the, um, the Moonliner to, to match more of a Coca-Cola theme, I think is what it, it all, it's, it's more red now. But, but uh, you know, back in those first few years, I, I was doing the art direction of the original paint um, uh, because Bruce Gordon at that point in time realized that uh, like I was this, this Disney nerd and I really loved this stuff. And, uh, and there was a head of, you know, the automotive style of paint that was in the building um, but even for him, it was, you know, I can oversee this from a fabrication standpoint, but it needed to be art directed. And so Bruce said, here, I need you to do this. And, you know, again, I'm just a kid, but I, but I, you better believe I was going to put my heart into, into that. So I was able to, you know, walk into Tomorrowland and for the longest time and say, you know, I spent a lot of time in that tent out back with a paint crew that didn't speak <laughs> a word of English, but they understood what I was pointing at. And that's how I'd have to communicate. And uh, and they, you know, if you only knew that the, 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 the curvature on the back, which you can only see from the monorail is slightly off centered because, oh, it drives me crazy every time I say, those are the kind of things that I could point out and, and talk about. Or there were graphics that said moon, uh, moonliner on it. And it was the wrong, uh, well, there was, there was a little bit of a, uh, of a debate between Bruce Gordon and Tony Baxter about which font we wanted to use. And, and, and I created it out of vinyl. And, uh, the night before the grand opening, I was up on a scissor lift myself in the land installing this 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 vinyl on the rocket and uh and we come down and uh the next day you know is all the opening and i'm out there with tony and bruce and 
and uh, and they they finally agreed that the font that was up there was not correct. <laughs> they're like, Josh, you're gonna have to go up there and change that. And I kind of laughed and said, Guys, the we're open. I mean, I I had to actually get a scissor lift in the land and and go up into the middle of this rocket in the middle of the night, and and uh, so for for years we continued to talk about how are we going to change the font to the correct font that we want. Well, now it doesn't matter. The rocket's been completely redone. But you have to understand, in 98, that's the way it looked. So those are the kinds of things that I would tell my family is like, hey, so right up there, that font, it's the wrong font. <laughs> I actually have the graphic for it. I've got to change it someday. I just don't know when I'm going to get to it. Um, those are the kinds of stories that I tell. The, uh, the again, more on the lines of the, of the fireproofing is, is Buzz Lightyear. I mean, Every single scene, every single backdrop, every every piece in there is a digital mask, paint mask that I had to create. Now, I'm not the painter. I didn't go in and actually paint all of those pieces. There's a, there were artists and crews that did that. But for me, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I had to go in and get the vectors and clean up any of the double lines so that they don't double or triple or quadruple cut. And I had to clean all of this those are the kind of boring stories that I tell my family. Like I had to go clean up all those lines so that, that, you know, same with the exterior of, uh, of, uh, interventions at Disneyland. And there's, there's equally a lot of that kind of stuff in Florida. And it's all that nerdy kind of things that quite honestly, not even my own family likes to hear about that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Digital cuts, whatever. But that's how I now see so many of those things. But do you, so do you walk them over to great moments with Mr. Lincoln and go, now this is where dad shined. This is really where my creative show juices got flowing. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and it's, it's become, I mean, I know it has for others, but for myself, it's even become a little bit of a, of a, of a wink, wink because the, the attractions have been open for over 10 years, give or take some closures of COVID. Um, but that was the opportunity where it was like, okay, that's not just the uh, uh, the, the signage because there were there were things involved there, or some of the graphics and imagery that were in the the pre-show and the queue, and I mean, all of that was, was still there. But it's the sitting here and listening to the volume levels, or to the lip smacks, or helping uh, our animator understand uh, what what might be the correct audio animatronic. Um, emotion to show when he says the word suicide, you know, a trigger word, you know, but, but that kind of stuff. Yes. It's, it's Lincoln. It's small. Who knows how many people even see it on a, on a given day, but from a creative standpoint, it was like really hands-on uh, every little bit and piece. Oh, and, and I think it might be out there somewhere. I may have talked about it somewhere, but um, uh, when we were ramping up to do this, um, the, the idea of using actual, you know, motion capture, uh, you know, not, not to recreate the animation itself, but to use a actual reference for animation reference, you know, has, has gone back for several decades. And, uh, and, uh, I had a friend in town who's, uh, was ramping up to do something for Disney channel and, uh, had a show on Broadway. Um, uh, John Tartaglia did mm. Avenue Q on Broadway and, uh, and now is, is heading up uh, Fraggle Rock and all that. But uh, he was in town, and and I'm sitting there, and and we were actually on um, the subs. We were uh, on the Nemo subs. We're sitting there looking at the portals, and it just came to me. I'm like, 
I can really use actor reference. And I turned to him and I said, hey, how well do you know uh, Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln? He goes, why? And I said, I could really use some reference if you're going to be in town even another day or two. And he goes, when do you need me? I'm like, okay, tomorrow. Okay. okay. So he, he comes up um, to Glendale the next morning. I have the audio put together already because I already cut the whole show for that purpose and set up a camera and he did several takes. I directed him on, on several takes of just giving gestures and motion to what Lincoln would be for reference for our animator. And I'm like, I'm like that was pretty impressive. And he goes, he goes, no, 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 you don't understand. He goes, I used to put this album on in my room and sit in my closet and puppeteer and perform it for my parents. He goes, this attraction means a lot to me. So the fact that I even asked that, you know, for him in particular, he went back. But, but it's those kinds of things that are fun to talk about because you go to a theme park and you, 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 you see things, a lot of work goes into it. A lot of, you know, teams, huge teams, a lot of people contribute to the success of an attraction. Um, and for the most part, you just never even know, you know, how much, you know, blood, sweat and tears goes into it or just passion and creativity. So, you know, in short, Lincoln, yeah. Do I wish that it was something as, as grand as an Indiana Jones adventure? Well, of course, <laughs> but, but it's okay. It's like, I, you know, I'm glad that I've got my, my connection to Walt Disney himself mm -hmm. in his park. And I sort of dig the fact that now next time I go see him, like John Tartaglia did all sort of like, you know, yeah. the, the model reference. He's sort of like the modern age Buddy Epson, you know, but he, he, he look. Yeah, that, no, that's exactly that's exactly the, the right reference. Yeah. yeah. Um, but again, you have this constantly adapting, morphing role at WDI. You walk, work on all of these attractions in, in a number of different capacities um, and and. I, I want to make sure I get all of the, the, the timing right, because I, I know you also worked on Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. Mm -hmm, but right. before that, again, talk about living out the dream. When Disney acquires Marvel, your role once again shifts in a lot of different ways, correct? Yeah. Um, but I was still an anomaly. <laughs> I mean, it shifted. I mean, for sure it shifted because, um, you know, the IP of, uh, of the Walt Disney company just increased significantly, um, towards something that I have a great passion for. And obviously you do too. Uh, the, uh, the, the thing is, I, I'm still such a specialist, uh, in, in terms of, you know, uh, how, how I work in, in, in the nuances of, of, of my craft that, I get placed into a department at that point in time that uh, had to do with headcount, had to do with company structuring that seemed to make sense to people looking at spreadsheets. And it seemed to make sense because Marvel was coming on board and I seemed to have a, a love and an understanding of it. Um, I, I don't know how much we need to go into it, but but what I'm setting up for right there is I'm placed into a department that I misaligned for <laughs> at that point in time. And so as much as I'm pushing hard to make Marvel a success, um, not just for Walt Disney Imagineering parks and resorts, 
but for the Walt Disney Company and for Marvel proper, Marvel Entertainment um, slash, you know, eventually Marvel Studios, all of those kind of things. Um, I'm also fighting internally against a title and department that I, uh, that I shouldn't necessarily be positioned in. Um, because my, my colleagues within this department are all artists in the sense of sitting down and, and drawing, whether it be, you know, on paper or for the most part, digitally, these are my colleagues. And so that's the benchmark that I'm now being held up against. <laughs> and I'm, you know, I'm going in and, and I'm, I mean, I'm pitching uh, concepts for Lost and I'm pitching concepts for Star Wars and I'm pitching. Wait, did you just say you were pitched a concept for Lost? Several concepts were lost. Worked, worked Did we with, just become best friends? I think we, we are just best friends. No, I but, think I Lost mean, is like the best TV show. Oh my ever. gosh! Yeah. And and I don't mind actually dropping that there because because I mean we it, it, well, I know this is a direction you wanted to go eventually, but it was it was Brian Crosby and I working on Lost and working <laughs> with uh, Damon and Carlton directly on all of these concepts and and just but the thing is. Those are all, you know, we're working from a creative standpoint. I'm doing a lot of writing. And, um, and here I am sitting in, in this department where I'm, again, benchmarked against people who are creating amazing art pieces for pitch. That's not what I have the capability to do. I can sit down and make you a killer keynote. <laughs> or, I can, or I can edit together, you know, a, a video and multimedia piece, which is exactly how we sold Lincoln. I created the whole show in uh, um, Final Cut. Hmm. But, but I'm competing in a department. And, and instead of, like, the value of the concepts showing forth, it's the, well, I'm not being picked up or being asked for by any projects to create art, art because I don't do that. Hmm. That was actually a really difficult time, again, under the hood. You know, you don't think about that kind of stuff because when I go into work each day, that's not exactly what I want to focus on. But even like getting reviewed by my boss at the time was not easy because it's like, we all agree. I'm not in the right department. And I'm like, I told you that. I said that before you moved me in the department. I said, this is actually going to hurt me because you guys are going to think you want something from me than what I contribute pushing hard for the success of Marvel in that time frame comes a lot of things that I can't talk about. I really wish I could. Um, but some of the things that we can talk about, you know, eventually, uh, uh, guardians of the galaxy mission breakout again, not, not me, but I was a part of a team that created amazing things, you know, under the leadership of Joe Rody. Um, the, uh, but, uh, uh, Brian that I mentioned before, Brian and I also, um, pitched and created the Disney Kingdom's comic book series in that time frame. You want to talk about strange? I mean, <laughs> the 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 heads of Imagineering at that, and not just Imagineering. I mean, we're going up to uh, the the Tom Staggs levels. They're scratching their heads, looking at us, going, "Why do you want to create comic books? You're an Imagineer. We don't create comic books." And we're sitting there saying. Well, because Marvel wants to, because we have stories to tell, because there's an audience out there. I mean, we're giving all the reasons. And, and to make a long story short, uh, Tom Staggs gave the approval for the Disney Kingdom series based on the fact that uh, Marvel's paying for it, and I don't have to figure out how to deal with that on the books other than you guys' time. 
And wait, that, anyway, tell the story about how you pitched it, not on the Disney side, but on the Marvel side to Joe Casada. Well, it has I mean, I'm I'm guessing Brian's Brian's shared that before. It, it, I don't. I'm not sure if he talked about it on. Okay. The well, show. so it's it's D twenty three Expo uh, twenty eleven, and uh, Joe Casada's out here for D twenty three Expo to do his Cup of Joe panel. We'd already been working with with Joe and several of the others uh, at Marvel by this time. You know, just from a, a conceptual standpoint of of what if for the Walt Disney Company. Um, let me back up a little bit more to th- probably 2008, 2009. Um, Brian and I had been working really closely with each other, uh, just in, in work capacity. And so we'd bounce things off each other all uh, a lot. And we we're always the guys going out to, you know, the Wednesday warriors heading out to the, uh, the comic book shops, you know, to, to, to get our books each week and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and we wanted to create a series of comic books for the Walt Disney company because we wanted to tell stories and we actually took it as far as uh, Disney publishing had some direct conversations. And I still remember driving down to comic-con one summer, getting on the phone while on the freeway down to comic-con in San Diego um, and having to tell uh, uh, Disney publishing that uh, we ourselves, the, the, the creators of this concept didn't want to proceed forward because we felt like it was diverging into an area that, that was uh, too far from what we uh, were pitching. I mean, they, they definitely wanted one thing. We wanted one thing. And, they, and we just finally said, you know what? Let's put this on hold. So Marvel acquisition comes along. All of a sudden, Brian and I are going, hold on a second. What if we like pitch doing our stories, but now they're actual Marvel comic books. Like that's pretty nerdy and pretty awesome. So Back to that D23 Expo moment. Um, Joe's a big uh, baseball fan. So uh, we all decided we were going to go to an Angels game while he was out here. And Brian and I are scheming. We're like, okay, if we ever even get the opportunity, because it's, it's literally, it's, it's Joe Casada, Brian and I um, going to an Angels game, right? And just like, for those who don't know, Joe Casada, I think his title is Chief Creative Officer for Marvel. Yeah, yeah. for Marvel. Yeah, at that point in time, he was still uh, editor in chief, I believe. Um, but uh, we're like, okay, if we get the opportunity, <laughs> let's let's just bring up the fact that we uh, that we want to do comic books. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, talk about nerdy, right? Well, so we're sitting there, and and literally, it's like. Joe's cracking peanuts. We're watching the baseball game, enjoying a, a, a good game. And the, the timing comes up. Brian's able to actually like breach the subject. Hey, Joe, <clears throat> we got an idea we want to run by. You know, Joe, he's watching a game. He doesn't care. He's probably like, but oh, the, no. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like everybody's got an idea they want to pitch. But, you know, the premise of, what, of how we would always talk about this is um, people keep saying – uh, what are the theme parks going to do now that Marvel's part of the company? But what if we, uh, what if we reversed the, uh, the flow here? What if we uh, actually see how Marvel would handle things with the parks? He goes, what are you talking about? Like, Hey, think of, think of the way Pirates of the Caribbean has been doing well on big screen. You know, you take something that's, that's a fun general IP for the park and you find a new way to tell that story in a in a short format and and you and you see if you've got an audience for it or not 
And, you know, there's a lot of things out there, you know, Haunted Mansion's a fun one, Big Thunder's a fun one. And, you know, there's tons of attractions that are Disney theme park specific. And he's still just cracking peanuts. (laughs) (laughs) And I still remember Brian and I leaning back, looking at each other because he's on one side of Joe. I'm on the other side of Joe looking behind Joe's back and kind of giving the look of, well, we said it. You really didn't seem to. To, to absorb it much but he didn't say no so <laughs> but you know all right we said it and then a few weeks later joe calls up and he goes hey your whole uh, comic book thing I, I ran it by the team out here in new york and they, they think that's pretty cool so let's get started <laughs> wait wait what like let's get started like let's do this yeah let's get started sweet so that that was that was the pitch and that's how, how it began you didn't have to even make a keynote you just sort of you just take him to a baseball game yeah and and even like i said even at that we didn't even know if he was if he liked what he heard or not and it turns out yeah he did and eventually uh uh that became you know the the first in the series was seekers of the weird uh, and the reason why it's Seekers of the Weird and not Museum of the Weird is because we found out in the process that uh, due to a, a location in Texas, um, we, we were restricted from using the name <laughs> Museum of the Weird on the cover. In, in story, we were perfectly fine, but we were not allowed to actually put a, a, a book on a shelf called Museum of the Weird. And we're like, oh, man. It's like... <laughs> The, the whole idea of taking Rolly's story and, 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 you know, putting it out there. And, and, um, and so we went through all kinds of different titles and finally came up with seekers of the weird because we felt like it was action. You know, it's like seeking is an action, right. And, and they're looking for things. It, it just seemed like the, the right thing. And, um, and then uh, I actually had pitched uh, to the, the VP of the, of the, the unit there at Marvel that we turned it into um, a series in the way that Walt had the wonderful world of Disney. I said, you know, you could tune in each week and watch the wonderful world of Disney, but then within that chapter, you might watch Tomorrowland, you might watch Frontierland, you might watch, you know, and I said, uh, what if we, what if we create the series with that kind of a feeling? He's like, what are you talking about? And, and eventually, you know, the name that we came up with was, you know, what if the whole series is called Disney kingdoms and under Disney kingdoms sits one world. Mm-hmm a connected universe in Marvel style, one world of Disney titles. And they're like, Oh, that's cool. They would look good on shelf that way. <laughs> yeah. They would look good on shelf that way. So that, that's what started that. And, and it was fun. Uh, I mean, cause I had mentioned, you know, Seekers of the weird being the first one we did go and we sat with Rolly um, and got his buy-off and approvals all during the process. And uh, still remember uh, being at his house and Rolly actually saying, he goes, I always wished that this would come about one day. I just never thought it would be a comic book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, we had so much fun doing all of that, but uh, uh, if, you know, for those who may or may not don't know, I mean, we created several titles, uh, haunted mansion, the hardcover for haunted mansion actually premiered uh, at number one on the New York best, uh, New York times bestseller. Um, we, had every intention of doing a figment three because the figment series were mm-hmm. crazy fun, super cool. Uh, I set up the ending pages of big thunder to lead to uh, sequels to, to go into discovery Bay and things like that. Um, but Hey, life goes into different directions. 
Brian actually got very, very much consumed on the Marvel side in a good way, mm -hmm. but in such a way that he wasn't able to be as involved on the comics, ironically enough. And then I left Walt Disney Imagineering. And, uh, and also at the same time, Tom Morris was uh, working with us. Andy G. Genova was working with us. And both Tom and Andy also left Imagineering, which then all of a sudden left the Disney kingdoms just kind of <laughs> out there to float away. And like, sorry, it's not that we don't love it. It's just that, you know, the stewards weren't there for yeah. it anymore. Yeah. Well, and you know, I love a lot of, of that story, including the fact that it, it kicked off with this idea again, that was not dismissed and it was based on, you know, Rolly Crump and again, touching back to Walt Disney and that idea for museum of the weird and the, the yeah. comics were beautiful too. I mean, they were just so well written. Yeah. Um, so well done too. Um, I know a lot of people and I think it was, was Tiki room. The last in the, Tiki in was the, the last one. Yeah. yeah. And, and Tiki, Tiki was, was such a weird one. It wasn't intended to be the last by any means, but it was, it was also a, Hey, we've done some pretty dark and heavies and serious series, uh, serious types of, you know, books in a way. Tiki room was, uh, um, um, the VP at Marvel. He's like, you know, I want to do one with talking animals. You know, I kind of want to lighten it up, you know, age it down for a different audience. Um, which is exactly what that was. And, and we, we took it as a, as an approach to, um, uh, more like fantasy Island. You know, the idea that there's a lot of magic and things that and problems to be solved in this place. And uh, the timing of it was like, oh, well, that was the last one we did. <laughs> I have no idea if, you know, there's there's ever a resurgence and something, you know, happens again in the future someday. That's, not, you know, not for me to decide. But but the fact that we left on Tiki was like, oh, we were kind of on this, you know, this figment and haunted mansion and, and you know all these kind of things and then we intentionally went with something to age down and be really light with tiki and it was our last like oh not the one we wanted to be our last <laughs> <laughs> you never listen like you said you never know what um what the future might hold but you know there was this this new relationship um between disney and marvel um yeah that you know, has grown and, and evolved and you worked, um, and I guess sort of alongside Brian on the story and, and franchise interactions, right? So we've got these properties, we've got these 5,000 characters. How do we start to integrate yeah. them into the parks? Uh, tell me a little bit about your, your work on Marvel in terms of the theme parks in particular. So, man, I really don't even know how to, how to start? I mean, I've talked about that, you know, here and there, um, but it it is so disjointed and all over the place. Um, but, <laughs> but it's all the, connected. It's all connected. <laughs> but but it is all connected. But but again, I, I set this up earlier by telling you, you know, in terms of how my career has existed and being an anomaly, that that continued to be the case. And and, and you know, I gave you a little uh, um, you know insight also into the idea that I was moved into another department and and some of the hindrances that that would create, you know, from a, from a creative standpoint. And, and, uh, it, I, I mean, the, so, you know, it's like when, when the announcement was made, it was like, you know, the, the Walt Disney company is depending on, depending on who you talk to, the Walt Disney company is either acquired or is merging with Marvel. Um, <laughs> the, uh, there was a lot of negativity, um, uh, around it, uh, from a, what's this going to do to the brand mm -hmm. type of thing. 
And like I said, when you've got people like, you know, Brian and I, and, you know, and some others who are like, oh, this, this has the potential of being amazing. There's the, there's the Walt Disney side that makes me go, well, no, I agree. This probably isn't completely aligned with what we're talking about, but I'm also thinking about it in terms of, of future storytelling. I'm like, oh my gosh, the possibilities that just opened up for us are amazing. So that's where our brains were going. It, it had nothing to do with, you know, you know, hot dog. We now own all these comics. It, it, that wasn't it. It was the, it was the the creative possibilities that just opened up are mind blowing. I would have, you know, um, I I would have people coming to my office because, you know, I'm I'm one carrying the banner for Marvel, and uh, and from day one it was it was us saying we are going to embrace this. We are going to start coming up with concepts. We're going to start building these networks and bridges of, of communication. We're going to make this happen. Um, and people would come to my office and they would stand in the doorway and they would tell me how wrong I was. Hmm. You know, do you, do you not realize, you know, you know, how negative this is? Do you know? And, and these are all personal feelings, but at the same time, they, they wanted to be sure that it was understood that, you know, I'm on the wrong side of this battle. And, and I'm like, but I love this stuff, you guys. I mean, you know, I, it's like I, I idolize Captain America and, and, and Spider-Man, you know, childhood hero. And, and, you know, to have people say, you know, this is, this is bad. And, you know, it's so violent and, you know, all those kind of arguments. But we didn't let that hold us back. You know, we would go to a baseball game with Joe Quesada and we would come <laughs> up with solutions, right? Um, but in that same time frame, it, it wasn't just Joe. I mean, it's across the board. It's it's all of the creative mindsets, you know, even the Kevin Feige's and things like that, that were all a part of these conversations of the what ifs, how could we make this big? How could we make this the best thing possible for for the entire uh, company? And um, again, I'm skirting on things. I mean, it, you know, if Brian <laughs> ever listens to this, he's going to be like, ah, don't say it. But there are... there. <laughs> There, there are specific things in this time frame that were um, uh, very, very, very crucial and important to the relationships of Marvel and Imagineering. And what we would have to tell people, especially the kinds that would stand in, in my doorway, would is would say, just, just hang on for the Avengers. Mm-hmm. I think you might feel a little differently when the Avengers comes out. Um, and again, you know, we're still having to project, you know, a few years, but, but just knowing, you know, cause you know, there were some struggles around, I don't know about the war and I don't know about, you know, just, just hang on. Right. Cause, cause Iron Man and Thor at the time were not, they were not Spider-Man no and way. Captain America. No way. I mean, Iron Man, I mean, so many people, we'd joke about the fact that people would be like, I don't know who Iron Man is. Yeah. And then Iron Man comes out and people are like, oh yeah, Tony Stark, totally. I love that guy. Like, you have no idea. I've been Iron you Man fan for years. <laughs> yeah, you didn't know who that was. You're like, oh yeah, no, I love Tony Stark. <laughs> um, but, but glad that it was you know, getting fans, right? Sure enough, Avengers comes out. Nobody's standing in my doorway anymore telling me I'm wrong. And I start seeing Captain America shirts, mm-hmm. Spider-Man shirts popping up, walking around, and I'm like, okay, at least we want a little bit of a battle there. I'm not being insulted for being a nerd anymore <laughs> on that level. And, uh, <laughs> and so we, we, it gives us a little bit of room to, to move forward. Um, 
wow, I'm having to be so careful. You have no idea. <laughs> These are conversations that are 10 years old and I'm still like saying, I can't, I can't even tell you. But, uh, but out of that, you know, we're, uh, yes, there's Guardians of the Galaxy mission breakout. And out of that is the, you know, Iron Man experience in Hong Kong. And, you know, things, things that were percolating all in that time that, uh, that, you know, we were having to fight the good fight for and get executives on board with, um, which kind of, it, I to say, brings us to J- Joe Rody. Mm-hmm. Joe Rody is then announced uh, internally as he's taking over the efforts for Marvel uh, internally so that somebody can focus on it from an executive standpoint. And, uh, and you know, Joe Rody, Animal Kingdom guy, right? Definitely, you know, some scratching of the heads like, huh, Joe Rody, huh? <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, we know he's creative. We know he can think outside the box, but you're also thinking very organically, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's the Animal Kingdom guy, huh? So, I mean, that day, the very day I go over to Joe and I said, we need to talk. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, you don't get to tell me what we need to do. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's a bold thing. <laughs> um, no, I know Joe and I, are, Joe and I are good friends, but, but still it's like, um, I, I sat down and I said, Joe, and, and again, now you guys know, cause I set up for this a little bit, Joe, I'm in a position right now where I'm having a hard time finding my footing. I can pitch, I can ideate, I can, you know, do all this kind of stuff. I'm in a department that's, that I'm having a hard time finding uh, a way to, to thrive in. But at the same time, I've created very good, uh, strong relationships with Marvel, direct uh, with Marvel. Um, I could be an asset to you if we can figure out what that is. And Joe goes, okay, actually, you're right. I could use you. And I said, okay, I'm glad that's how you're... <laughs> going to respond um and i said can we you know for me i'm thinking get me out of this department i don't belong in and let's get me on you know this portfolio somehow and and joe says you're my marvel guy and i said okay well that's cool and all but we need to define we need to figure out you know what that is and he goes you're my marvel guy (laughs) yeah but people around campus probably need me you know for me i'm trying to get out of 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 a, a certain department right um and he's like, no, 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 you're my Marvel guy. Okay. Is that what so it says on your business card? I'm Joe's Marvel guy. Well, and that's exactly <laughs> it. And I'm thinking, hey, you know, that doesn't actually equate to anything other than, you know, you know, thanks, Joe. Um, and <laughs> something fun that we did right in that time frame is, uh, is I got him a ticket to San Diego Comic-Con and took him to, to Comic-Con that year. Um which was at first it was terrifying. I'm like, Oh no, I'm taking Joe Rody to Comic-Con. What does this even mean? Like earring guy, like people are going to know who this, this is. And for him, it's like, nobody's going to recognize me. You know, it's not a theme park. No, I people recognize Joe. He's got the earring. Um, but we ended up having a blast. And, but when he first got there, uh, again, I'm, I'm stressed. I want to go to Comic-Con. I want to, you know, put on my, my nerdy t-shirts. I want to go to the panels. I want to just, you know, be myself. Right. And now I'm like, Oh no, I've got to, I've got to figure out how to impress upon him that I'm still his Marvel guy. So we, we get there within five minutes of entering the exhibit hall floor. I see him get like starstruck by something. I'm like, what? And I look over, I'm trying to figure out what he's looking at. Like, like 
he's having that ego moment where, you know, the, the eyes are zooming in and he goes, is that Jimmy Starenko? And I go, yeah. <laughs> Boom. He takes off, makes a beeline, gets in line to go and shake his hand. I'm like, Hey, I think we're going to be okay. I think we're going to have a good Comic-Con, which in fact we did, but I'm, but it was, he all of a sudden showed me that he has the ability to yes, still be that, that kid inside, still be a fan, still enjoy himself. And I took some pictures of him, you know, talking to Jimmy Starenko because he was just <laughs> geeking out at, over, over the whole thing. That was the kind of fun that we had. But this is the 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 relationship that that eventually worked its way all the way through Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. I mean, th that involves a lot of other concepts. Uh, th there were there were two other strong properties that were um, suggested to Joe. Hmm before guardians of the galaxy uh which i don't think i'm at liberty to 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 talk about but the the first one um uh it was actually brian and i had to sit down with joe and say hey uh there could be a complication i mean this this comes from being like that having to be that that franchise story you know person mm -hmm. there could be a situation um if this is the property that we truly pursue for tower of terror and he goes oh i don't know if it's a really big deal but i understand but what would we do and so then we gave him another option well if we were to think about this it would be a good solution there's budgetary things that would be a good solution there's theming things that could be a good solution i mean we were giving options and he goes he goes okay i didn't want to hear that <laughs> but i agree and we're like, okay. And he goes, I'm going to Disneyland with this. He came back and he said, uh, -uh. uh, that's, they didn't want to hear that either. Um, the new direction we're going and we're sticking to is guardians of the galaxy. Hmm. Um, those are the kinds of, you know, you know, insider baseball type of, you know, conversations that need to happen in that process. When you're in that franchise group that involved Brian, Brian's already over at Marvel at this point, And he's over there in his position but he and I still would come together um, for those kind of things. And we, we knew that, you know, we would have to rely on each other's strength in the moment to have that conversation <laughs> with Joe um, so that he didn't just call one of us dumb. Uh, we could both be dumb. Um, but that became very much the this, this style of relationship in which uh, we would function in, in that Marvel capacity. It, that's why when you, when you asked me this originally, I wasn't even sure how or how to answer this because there's so much that's conversational. Mm -hmm. There's so much that is uh, how you deal with, with another human being. You know, th there's, there's all of these bits and pieces and you can't put that on a resume and you can't go in front of a, a D23 panel and talk about the day-to-day -day types of tasks because well, for one, it's probably not interesting to everybody, but two, it doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Right. So <laughs> even right now, I'm, I'm confusing myself. It's like, I'm telling you things that happened and I'm still confused. <laughs> I'm telling you things that happened, but I can't tell you exactly what happened. Um, what, I can which, just tell you that it's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you're just quickly touching on, on Guardians specifically, because you worked on, obviously, like you said, Iron Man Experience and right. Summer of Heroes, Marvel Day at Sea, which I can tell you as an avid cruiser is far and away. Without question, the best Disney cruise experience 
period. Like, so, no questions asked. I, I can't say that I've had necessarily any, any involvement. <laughs> I, I, just, I mean, because I'm not smiling. Take, he's I'm, just, I, just so you know, for those who can't see, he's actually he's smiling. But well, but, well, I'm, I'm not going to take credit for other people's, you know, really, really hard work. I mean, any involvement I had with that, it was literally like sitting down and looking over like like some Q and A questions and and just seeing if they were worded correctly. But it, but really, from a conceptual standpoint, <laughs> there there are people that get to take credit for that. And ironically enough. I have never been on a Disney cruise. I've been on I've been on a Disney what? cruise ship because of a certain property that was going to be awesome to put on the cruise ship for a while. Um, but it was while it was in port in Los Angeles, top to bottom, went through the whole ship, taking photos, taking notes. But I have never ever actually uh, been out on sea. With, oh, with we're going to have to fix that at some point. But anyway, oh, so- I, believe, I agree. <laughs> I, I, I've worked on so many of them. It's like I could I could walk onto the first two ships and point to things that I did, but I've never actually never actually like been out to sea. Um, so but quick, just quickly touching on, on Guardians of Gal, because I think Guardians like was so interesting for a number of reasons. And yes, of course, my mind and everyone else's who is listening is going what were the other two properties that were going to be there i have an idea but i i'm not even gonna try and guess <laughs> but that's interesting because you were also taking what was at the time like the third most popular attraction in the entire park and converting it to this attraction there had to be both a little bit of fear and confidence at because if you happen to pay attention to the twitter there was a little bit of guest pushback i'm just yeah, a little bit a tiny bit you know that's a that's a huge risk to take to to say yeah we're going with with guardians huge yeah and i mean and unfortunately you know you've got you've got your big uh champion on that kind of thing which is joe roadie um uh who's leading the charge you know if 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 anybody's you know taking the, the the biggest public shots over that it's it's you know poor Joe, but he's also the one that would tell us as a team you know don't worry, you know once we get this thing open you know that all that complaining is going to stop and he is exactly right. right you know um, <laughs> all those people that said I'm never going to ride this attraction because you took away my Tower of Terror are like the first ones there exactly and uh, but I will say because you you actually did mention it um I I thought I was going to get myself kicked out of uh, the meeting with the Disneyland executives um, because uh, <laughs> early on I'm I'm the one who said uh, now remember you know because there were some other concepts that that could have uh, been slated for the space but um, I was the one who actually asked the uh, the Disneyland team I said um, where does uh, Hollywood Tower of Terror rank um, in terms of guest satisfaction. Um, for that park and and you know disney Cal- disney's california adventure has always uh had a, a need to, to pull a little bit more because you know you've got the you've got the, the the jewel next door which is you know the original disneyland that everybody's planning their vacations around and then you've got the second that people have a lot of things they love but they're not necessarily thinking about it as the primary so you've got california adventure who's always trying to get an extra hook so that you make sure that you plan that as part of your vacation and I said, you know, so where is Tower of Terror on that that, that list? And, and you know, and and they quite excitingly didn't miss a beat and said it's number three. <laughs> and and I said, so number three, huh? <laughs> um, 
number shouldn't we be looking at you know a different number on the list to uh try and draw a crowd superstar limo was right down the street we could do something over there (laughs) (laughs) but but i mean this goes back to because we brought it up earlier that's the director critical mind that's not me saying don't do it 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 was quite literally shouldn't we be thinking of problem solving Mm -hmm. something over here instead of number three here and uh and boy, I thought I was—I thought I was going to get executed for for being the <laughs> that voice who who said that. But I mean, it was coming from a place of of logic. And and again, I wasn't trying to to shut down something that had potential. And and, and that Guardians attraction is so much fun. And mm. I knew that it was going to be fun. My mindset was: shouldn't we actually be? giving some financial focus and love towards something that isn't necessarily pulling a crowd right now. So I survived. I lived another day, (laughs) but, but you know, sometimes that can make you the unpopular guy, I guess. And it, it's, uh, it's one of the things actually I learned from Tony Baxter. He's, he's my, my, my number one, like that's my mentor at Imagineering. And uh, that's something that I feel like I, I take away from him is the, uh, he's often perceived of as, as as coming into a meeting, and and people think that he comes in with a with a with a negative to shut something down, but but in fact, and this is something he's taught me verbally and and and, and by example is no is not what you ever say, um, because if it's no, it's just that you may not understand. Mm-hmm. It's are there other options to pursue? It's you know, you should never go in and say, I don't like your idea. It stinks because that's your problem. That's not their problem. That's your problem. But it's the, uh, Hey, if you're going to be closing this attraction and we're going to be losing capacity, is there anything that we could possibly do within that area of the park to absorb some of that capacity that's going to be impacted by that? And that's, that's the, the theme park logic that I try to apply to things that I learned from him. But I also have seen the example of, you know, whether it be in meetings with him or myself, like I said with this tower thing, where you're the one that's bringing up a, a critical thought to try and open up more thinking. And, and some people don't necessarily want to hear that. <laughs> right. They just kind of wish that you'd excuse yourself from the room. And it's like, oh, no, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to kill your project. I was just trying to get to think uh, too late. <laughs> so. um. You know, and now that that you have um, you've moved on from uh, the Disney company, Walt Disney Imagineering, you know, obviously yeah. the the Marvel plane is still very much in flight with uh, Avengers Campus coming. Yeah, absolutely, as it's, as yeah. a fan, now looking at it, you know, having been on both sides, and now looking at it from a fan perspective, um, what do you think about what is happening in terms of the theme parks and the integration of Marvel? Uh, we're desperate for it here on the East Coast. We understand why it can't happen just yet, but uh, certainly out there. I, you know what? I'm so glad that we finally reached a, a time and place where where somebody can acknowledge that, because <laughs> for years, not days or weeks, for years, that would be the kind of conversation we would have to have internally about mm-hmm. why we couldn't utilize certain properties or even pursue certain levels of conversation east of the Mississippi, and. It, yes, it's confusing, but of course it, it's contractual. There are reasons for it. And and early on, we would just have to say, this is the way it is. So let's set up our guidelines and our rules, and this is how we get to play. But still, you'd have people go, I, I don't get that. No, 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 no. <laughs> we're Disney. <sighs> we're going to do this. And you're like, 
but we can't. So I, it makes me happy to hear that, you know, at least people finally do have an understanding of limitations and they may for not now, always. For now, I, I, I right, think those limitations it. will eventually go away, but. And some of those limitations have even softened up, you know, on film and, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. But, but I, I'm glad that at least it's a conversation now. Um, it, so the, the direction things are going, um, you know, so, so now we get into that, that I had a teacher once who anytime he spoke a personal opinion, he'd stand in the corner of the room so that every student understood that he was <laughs> speaking on behalf of himself and not the institution. Um, and that's kind of how I feel like when we get into these kind of uh, parts of the conversation, because I'm like, I have personal opinions. Um, you know, I go to a movie and, you know, in the act one story structure, you know, there'll be a lighting cue and I'll, and I'll mention something about, oh, yeah, that's the bad guy. And my wife will go, can't you just enjoy this? And I'll say, oh, no, I'm loving this. This is brilliant. And she's like, yeah, but you just ruined it for me. And I'm like, oh, well, that was, I'm, oh, I'm so sorry. Because, because I'm looking at it from a different angle than what maybe the general public is, is looking at it from. And that's, this is setting up for my answer because um, I, I don't have the 100% capability of, just being a fan because it's not just that I know what's going on behind the scenes. It's that I'm curious enough to want to know what's going on behind the scenes to have done my research. Um, I just, I just look at it from a different fan's perspective. Mm -hmm. if, if you don't mind that viewpoint, um, we talked about uh, 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 Tony and uh, one of our traditions every year is to go to uh, uh, not Halloween haunt. Um, up until maybe not this year, but um, but that's that's just been like a, a tradition every year. You love going and seeing what's the creative and Halloween and all that kind of stuff. And one of the years they did kind of an escape room thing. It was the first year they had tried this kind of format. And I'm also a gamer. I like I like playing my video games. It's just something that you know I've always enjoyed. I'm a kid of the '80s. Um, and we go in, and in every room it was. All right, that's a button, that's a hinge, that's a did it. And we're going through and we're just <laughs> we're we're blasting through this. And at the very end, Tony says to me, he goes, How did you know in each room what was going to be happening? And I said, Well, because that's what I saw when I went into the room. And and what 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 I meant by that was it, it wasn't trying to be the spoiler, it wasn't trying to see the lighting cue that ruined the movie for my wife. It was the it was the Oh, that's not molded plastic. That's an actual button. I bet you that's going to be usable. Oh, that's a hinge, even though it's painted to look rusty. I bet you that's usable. Mm. It's, you know, it's, it's looking at things in a practical way and, and applying that. And for him, who's not a gamer, and that's why, I, that's why I feel like gaming was part of that structure is because I was looking for gamer logic in the room. You know, what's pulling me forward? What needs to be the thing that does this, that does this? Um, that's how I see what's happening in, in, in the, the theme park world now. Um, I did, I, you know, I left Imagineering in 2017 to be the chief creative officer for an effort in Utah for, um, for a park that was, I always coined as living theater. Um, the themed entertainment industry is, is, is rapidly going in this direction. Knott's has embraced it. Universal has had a lot of efforts in this direction. And now, you know, Disney has, had things over the years, but they're embracing it more fully with uh, Galaxy's Edge. The idea that 
you're stepping into an actual environment that 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 looks, feels, tastes, smells, and that it's supposed to be the actual uh, thing you're doing, and then everybody you interact with is supposed to be there. I think that is. Uh, we'll see how the how the world emerges from our current pandemic uh, paranoia in terms of how we deal with one another, but uh, um, in terms of uh, Marvel, Star Wars, all the big IPs, all of that applies to the direction we're headed. Um, I mean, uh, the, the VR space, which was kind of iffy. I mean, that, that, that one I've always been a little skeptical on um, for, for various reasons, Be, uh, mainly um, hygiene. Before this was a concern, it was always a, you know, uh, my, my home roller coaster park in California was Magic Mountain. And uh, they took Revolution several years back and added a VR headset to it. Mm. And I had to go and, and check it out. But my concern was, you're having everybody put this on their face. You're having to clean it after each one. I'm trusting that you're cleaning this, but you're probably not because I've seen how you upkeep this place. <laughs> um, the, and then the experience itself, so-so. Eh, it wasn't necessarily better than you know, going past beautiful trees being blown by the wind of a roller coaster car, you know? Um, and so I've always been a little skeptical of, of how that's going to be there. And then you, you've got something that emerges like the void. Uh, and uh, there's a, a dreamscape and you've got these kind of things, but they require a certain level of, of hardware support that is cool, but it's, it's still ad hoc. So, you know, now emerges something like a Galaxy's Edge where you can go into this enormous uh, themed environment. And if you choose to ad hoc, you can have your phone. You know, you can, you can participate in that way. But for the most part, you know, the interaction is, is the world building itself, which, quite honestly, that goes back to 1955 mm -hmm. and even back further than that, you know, to placemaking and escapism and all that kind of thing. I do believe that is more the direction that we as an audience are going to continue to uh, strive for. With the effort that I moved to Utah for, you know, I would talk to uh, college classes and things like that. Um, doing a lot of promotion, uh, did Comic-Con panels and Salt Lake Fan X panels and all about this new living theater format. And uh, one of the things that I would tell people is um, we all try to create escapism as it is already. So uh, I remember talking to a, a university class saying, um, okay, raise your hand if you have a presence on social media. And, you know, pretty much everybody raises their hand. And I say, now, if you feel like you can be honest, how many of you feel like your profile picture is truly who you are? And, you know, and you get some, <laughs> well, and, you know, and they kind of laugh. And I go, I go, but that's the point. I said, we all want to be somebody, you know, we all want to be the hero. Video games provide a certain level of, you know, being a hero, right? And in, in terms of creating a themed entertainment living theater space, I said, I said, what would it be like if you could walk in the gates of a theme park and the person you believe you are in that profile picture is exactly who you are meant to be while you are there? Everybody there believes it, you believe it, and all of the people that are there with you consuming it believe it because that is the world of make-believe that you want. I said, who would want to be a part of that? Everybody raises their hands. They want to be a part of that because everybody wants to be the hero everybody, or, or, you know, quite honestly, the villain or somebody, everybody wants to be unique. They want to be special. They want to have the ability to fix something. They want to be the, have the ability to actually feel like they matter. 
Mm-hmm. Like they make a difference, which is why even on our own social media presence, we tend to put out a fabrication because we want the world to believe that everything's just okay. You know, it's going to be all right. And so I think that our themed environment spaces are going to continue to push towards the idea that it's okay. You can come here. You can, and this isn't just the, the, the park that I went off to build. It was, it's, it's Disney, it's universal, it's Cedar fair. It's all of them. Um, you know, it's a Puy de Faux does it to a degree in, in Europe and F wings got its, you know, it, it, it's the world. And I think people want to actually feel like they could put on, you know, a, a superhero shirt and instead of being mocked, they would say, you're a hero, you can help me. Mm-hmm. Well, it's our artificial spaces where that's going to start. And hopefully altruism w- would become you know, something on earth. Right now, I think there's a pretty poor example of it you know, going on on, in, on the planet. But I think ideally, that is something people want, would embrace. And the, the themed environment space is where you know, that kind of thing is going to happen. I mean, with the park that I helped with a year ago, that is exactly what was happening. I mean, people were coming in and leaving who they were at the door and everybody equally embraces the idea. We have no idea what your problems are at home, relationship problems, health problems. None of that matters unless you want to bring it with Mm -hmm. you as part of your story. And from a sociological standpoint, fascinating. I would go every single night, not just to help direct the show each night, but to watch the audience and the participants because it was important for me to understand what's working for people, what makes altruism work, how can we uh, employ something different uh, tomorrow night. I mean, I just really think that, you know, we as human animals – need connection and and it's going to continue to gravitate that way there there have to be some walls broken down first Mm -hmm. um uh some some of them will take a while some of them have to do with uh um union restrictions or uh safety restrictions i don't mean putting people in danger but i mean having a new understanding of how things can be consumed differently i mean we're seeing that with even hand sanitizers and cleaners, but I mean more on a consumable level. I think the rules will gradually shift and change to a point where, where the, the world in which we participate will become uh, more engaging and we will be, we will have more meaning to one another. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, what, look, and going back to, to Walt, you know, it's not just having a passive viewing experience on a screen. He wanted you to be an active participant. And I, and I agree with you hundred yeah. percent. I think the future of themed entertainment is not necessarily virtual or even augmented reality or where you're relying mm-hmm. on a technology. It is this desire that I think we all have yeah. to do a little bit of role playing, whether it's whether you're playing Dungeons and Dragons or, or yep. Fortnite or Half-Life or whatever your, your sort of game of choices. You're right. You want to be in that environment and to be able to do it in a Disney space. I think that is what Galaxy's Edge is doing and, and very much just sort of scratching the surface of making us feel like we can be part of the resistance. We can be pulled over by a first order guard and sort of interact with not just the land, but the people within and the, the quote unquote, you know, rewrite ability factor of going to visit that place over and over again, when you don't know what to expect because it's not scripted is is fascinating and appealing. 
Well, and, and again, I mean, all part of that to feel like you matter. And, and I mean, if you have a hundred people go into to said space, you don't need all 100 people to engage mm-hmm. to matter because a, a vast majority of them could feel like they mattered because they were a part of the resistance. You know, they're acknowledged as the group. They're acknowledged. But the point being that, you know, your presence, your perceived presence made a difference in whatever level you decided mm-hmm. to engage. Right. And well, we just want to, and we all just want to belong to something too, right? It's why we wear we shirts do. from our favorite sports teams or Disney World or Star Wars. So you can see that guy on the Comic-Con floor and just sort of nod like, yeah, I'm a Spidey fan too, or whatever. Yeah, it might be. Th- no, but it, that is, that is so accurate and so true. I mean, I, I have, I have a lot of Star Wars shirts in my rotation <laughs> um, and a lot of Marvel shirts in my rotation. And part of that is, you know, yes, I'm displaying my fandom, but it's exactly what you just said. It's, Hey, if I'm at Costco, and this dude over there that looks like he'd probably like beat me up on the street just gave me a nod because of my shirt. I'm like, right. huh, sweet. Right. It We're unites buddies. people. It does. It, that, yeah. that shirt or that, you know, logo could be something that unites people. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I was on a, a buddy of mine. He works at Universal now. I was on his show on Instagram yesterday. We were talking about Comic-Con. We were just talking about the, 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 the fact that it equalizes people mm-hmm. and the, the fun of the 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 nerd haven in which is a San Diego comic-con or any of the other, you know, big cons that are out there. And, uh, and I, I told him, I said, you know, something that I've always really appreciated and I, and I love is, is uh, for me, it's like, I grew up watching Star Trek on TV. I really like Star Trek. I could probably tell you almost all of the Star Trek characters, but if I had to put myself into a bucket, I'm going to tell you, I'm a Star Wars guy. Mm. I don't like be, I don't like having to say I'm in a bucket, but <laughs> if I were, if I were told I had to choose a side, you know, I'm going to tell you, oh, well, no, Star Wars men is to me. Da, 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 da. We tend to have, you know, certain things that maybe we gravitate more strongly towards. You go to a San Diego Comic-Con and you see, you know, uh, the the full-on decked out Klingon taking a photo with Darth Vader. And then the way I said it yesterday, <laughs> you know, and then you got Dr. Zayas running in because he wants a photo with them as well. And nobody's ever like, you don't belong here. Everybody's like, I have found my family. Yeah, it's just like, the opposite. You do belong here. Right. You, you do belong here, and and we are the best friends on the face of the planet. And I don't even know your name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's um, it it's very much a uniting. The cons have become a, you know, as somebody who grew up a nerd and continues as a nerd, and you we were mm-hmm. sort of the the outcast growing up. Now all of a sudden we've got this place, and it it's cool to be nerdy. So well, you know, well, I always thought you know as you know as far back as elementary school that my my love of Star Wars and all of that was something that made me a little too nerdy for some people to associate with. I mean, I had my, my friends, but at the same time, you know, it's like, eh, I just didn't quite fit in with that crowd. Now we have a world of social media and so many of us are connected, you know, years and years beyond, you know, those years and we're adults and we have our families and our professions and all that. And it's amazing how many people that I didn't necessarily feel connected to over the years have reached out to me and say, said like hey so what'd you think of the new star wars film like, oh, you know i exist i didn't even think she liked me well she didn't like you back then but now she likes you. yeah well it's too late now sorry yeah oops oh well oh uh, man josh listen i could uh, i could talk to you all day all night man whether it's about uh, disney or marvel or star all wars of the above, and man. all the above um lost you know, 
Listen, we didn't even get to Lost. We're gonna have to do it. We need a separate conversation because my mind yeah. was was literally blown, and I never even got to circle back to that. So we'll tease that for maybe we'll do this again um, sometimes. But um, very quick, just because I you have to sort of ask the requisite question. Looking back at your career at Disney, and I know it's picking a favorite child, but there was there a project, a moment, a thing that you look back on and be like. This is the thing, man. This is the thing I'm most proud of, or this is my legacy, or this is the thing yeah. that I did. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it, and like I said, I, you know, it has become a little bit of a, a, a cliche joke because it's such a small thing, but it's Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have the big shining badge out there, and it's not, you know, recognized by the Theo organization or anything like that. But uh, the intent going in between Tony and I, the intent was always. Um, Walt created something uh, very specific that meant a lot to him. And we felt that uh, when we were approaching this project that uh, a lot of the Americana that Walt himself had introduced to Disneyland had eventually uh, faded away over the years and been replaced with other things. And um, in doing so, it was uh, our own personal tribute to uh, bringing something back that we, we hoped that Walt would have been happy with. Um, and so it means a lot to me for that reason, because, you know, we were creating it with the with the idea that I hope Walt would appreciate this. I love that. And I love the the sentiment and the the um, the the authenticity behind that. And I think, you know, the question is sort of answered itself almost just by our conversation. But I think your story is is inspiring to so many people that want to, you know, there is no quote unquote path to Imagineering, but for anybody who's like, I want to do that same thing. I have the same love or my kid, mm-hmm. you know, thinks that he or she wants to be an Imagineer. Is there a bit of advice or something that you would suggest to people that they, whether it's a mindset or something that they do? The, the, uh, yeah, I mean, yes, that obviously is something that is asked and inquired uh, about a lot. Um, what I try to get uh, for people to understand is um, be sure that you're sincere. I mean, that's a, that's a word that will come up a lot uh, when you talk with me because, because um, Hollywood, you know, can have its, its sheen on the glamor um, and uh, there are angles to the business and things like that because it's, you know, it's Hollywood and it is a business, but, but uh, if you are sincere, that uh, speaks volumes. And Imagineering is a very uh, strange beast. Um, you know, theme uh, entertainment design itself is a small uh, nuance. Um, Imagineering holds, I think, probably, yeah, it's, well, it's over 120 disciplines, which most people don't understand. You know, uh, I think a lot of people tend to think, you know, if I'm going to be an Imagineer, I've got to go uh, become an engineer. It's like, well, no, actually there's only a, a small percentage that are, that are actual engineers. Um, and so if, you know, if you're a young impressionable kid of 12 years old, who's thinking about what do you want to be when you grow up? I was trying to say, you know, what are you good at? What do you love the most doing and then become the best at that? Because there's probably a chance that that exists at Imagineering. You may not even know it because it doesn't get talked about. But there's a really good chance that your passion and what you're good at does exist there. And if you are the best at it, then you have a chance at being noticed. That's awesome. So, and- I, I mean, it, yes, it's hard. It's a, it's a hard uh, place to, to break into. But at the same time, if you're willing to fire trap, 
fire <laughs> fireproof a backdrop, <laughs> then your chances are better that you'll you'll have opportunities to do the things that you are passionate about and that you do love. So uh, don't don't compromise. Um, a friend who took that engineering path because he was certain that that was the path that led to uh, being um, the Imagineer of creativity, only to find out that uh, he was stuck being an engineer and he didn't actually love it. He put a lot of schooling, you know, we're talking time and finances into that, only to be considered the engineer. And really, he wanted to be um, seen and appreciated for his creativity, which he had in abundance, has in abundance. Um, but uh, he, the, the path he chose was a misrepresentation of his own heart and his own passion. And and you know had to struggle because of it. I love it. And uh, and listen, you you still are sharing great stuff on social. If people want to find out more or follow you, where should they go? Uh, you can pretty much find me on all the channels at Ship We Land. I ripped it off from Walt. <laughs> just my, I will uh... S H I P L E Y L A N D. You can just pretty much find me on any of the cha- uh, any of the cha- ah, channels out there. That's awesome. And I, I appreciate you and your time and your contributions um, as well as sharing so much tonight. We have, we listen, we're going to have to do this again because there's a lot more that we need to talk. Favorite character from Lost. Just quick. Oh, fa- oh my gosh. Okay. Oh boy. <laughs> I, mm, I am far more complicated, complicated than that, Lou. Um, knee jerk, I'm just going to tell you knee jerk is Hurley. Like, you but, just want to be friends with Hurley, right? Like, you just... And that's exactly it. It's like, I just know I'd get along with that guy. <laughs> and I just want to make sure that he's always okay. Um, but, but, but boy, I, I'm far more complicated than that, so... Cool. We will, uh, we will save that for uh, another time. Uh, Josh Shipley, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lou. Time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or see how well you pay attention to the details, sometimes in what you see, hear, remember, or even taste. If you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online form for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Of course, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, I took you over to Magic Kingdom, and because I was hungry, I'm always hungry. Who am I kidding? I wanted to ask a question that was somewhat food-related, and I brought you over to Skipper Canteen in Adventureland and asked, what was originally found in the location where Skipper Canteen currently sits? I even gave you a hint, because at one time, it was a Pixie Hollow and even a Captain Jack meet-and-greet, but those aren't the answers I was looking for, because they were not the very first things to be found in this location. First things first, thanks to all of you who entered, got this one correct, and knew that the answer was the Adventureland Veranda Restaurant. This restaurant opened with the park in 1971 and originally had items like sandwiches, like hot and cold sandwiches and fried chicken. A few years later in 1977, 
Kikoman, the soy sauce company, signed on as a sponsor, and the menu changed to include items like teriyaki hamburgers topped with pineapple rings and served with french fries and raisins on the side. I don't know where raisins come into that. There was also sweet and sour hot dogs and other Asian-inspired dishes like stir-fry that were offered, and they sort of mirrored the dining room's very exotic Polynesian-inspired decor. If you want to learn more about this restaurant and other extinct restaurants of Walt Disney World, you can go back, listen to show number 370, which is extinct restaurants of Walt Disney World. So anyway, I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one. Last week, you were playing for all of my digital products, which is my 102 ways to save money for not Walt Disney World book. All seven of my virtual audio walking tours of Magic Kingdom, all of which, by the way, still on sale for just $10 at the WW Radio store at you got it, www.radio.com, a WW Radio vinyl sticker, Magic Band cover, and a mystery prize from my eBay collection. I'm currently in the process of taking a lot of things out of my closet, off my shelves, and out of the garage, putting them up on eBay every Sunday night, 10 new items, vintage items going back to 1970s Walt Disney World, as well as some Marvel, some Star Wars. I'm going to pull one of those items out, add it to the mystery prize this week. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Lindsay Morgan. So, Lindsay, congratulations. You use the online form on the website, so I have your shipping address. I will get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So this week, I'm going to ask you a simple where in the world question, and it's not about what you see, but what you hear, because I'm going to ask you to identify where in Walt Disney World you've heard this phrase, candy and rainbows on your way, paint the town, turn it upside down, and soon you'll find you're here to stay. Now, I read it basically monotone because I almost don't want to give away where in Walt Disney World you can hear this, but if you know what I'm talking about, maybe saying or singing giving it away. Maybe saying or singing this in your head. You can go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the forum there, and again, you're going to enter to win all my digital products, the books, the audio tours, a vinyl sticker, a Magic Band cover, a mystery prize from my eBay collection, which, by the way, you can see at www.radio.com slash eBay. Ten new auctions start and end every Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern. You have until Sunday, August 2nd at 11.59 p.m. to enter. And by the way, if you're enjoying playing these Disney trivia questions, please join me on my Instagram stories for my daily Disney trivia. It's easy, fun, takes just a few seconds to play. You can test your knowledge, hopefully learn something, not win anything other than sort of the the warm and fuzzies and the knowledge that you're able to get it right, but maybe even learn something along the way. Again, I am at Lou Mangiello on Instagram.com. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. I hope that you had fun, you learned something, and that the show continues to bring you a little bit of happiness and Disney magic to your day and your week. I thank you for being here, for listening, for sharing, for being part of the community and conversation, which you can join over at www.radio.com slash community. Huge thanks to all the new and longtime members of the WW Radio Nation family, including Jimmy Hutto, Kevin Rodwell, Melissa Colazzo, Heather Morgan, Joe Jackson, and Marissa Marinelli. I am sincerely grateful for your support and your friendship and your help and love, and I love being able to give back to you 
each and every week. If you want to find out how you, like them, can not only help the show, but get exclusive rewards every month, including monthly scavenger hunts, trivia quests. We have a private Facebook group, custom Magic Band covers, logo gear, t-shirts, monthly care packages from Walt Disney World, exclusive live video group calls, special offers, and more. You can learn more by visiting WDWRadioNation.com. Again, it's completely optional. Starts as little as a dollar a month, but it's not only a great way for you to help show your support for the show and help the show, but don't forget that a portion of your optional contributions do go to our Dream Team project to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. Don't forget that in addition to the podcast, please join me for WW Radio Live every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on Facebook. It's a live video broadcast and chat. And we're going to be live this Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern from Epcot as we wander, explore, and eat and taste our way through a taste of Epcot Food and Wine Festival. I'll be live at 11 a.m. later on in the afternoon from a Disney resort and then later on that evening at our normally scheduled time at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Again, you can watch, chat, get your questions answered live. We have contests, lots more, by visiting www.radiolive.com. Be sure to turn on notifications both on the WW Radio page on Facebook as well as in the WW Radio Box People group. I'd also love to connect with you on social. I am at Lou Mangello on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you. So if you have a question you want me to answer on the show, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com or call the voicemail to be heard on the air at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1. And I still believe that nothing, even now, beats a handshake and a socially, physically distanced hug. Uh, Unfortunately, our meets of the month are temporarily on hold, which is so sad because I miss you so much but be sure and keep an eye on the WW Radio events page at www.radio.com slash you guessed it events and learn more about our next WW Radio group cruise which speaking of Marvel this week is a Marvel Day at Sea Cruise this January leaving out of Miami five nights you can learn more by visiting www.radio.com slash Marvel Cruise speaking of cruising and coming back to the parks if and when you are planning your next Walt Disney World Disneyland Disney Cruise Line vacation Please go and visit Becky Mankin and the entire team over at mousefantravel.com. They'll not only give you a free no-obligation quote and obviously all available discounts, etc., but more importantly, they'll give you an incredible sense of confidence and that you have that team of agents on your side, in your corner, to help answer questions before, during, and even after your trip. Again, you can go and visit them over at mousefantravel.com. And as always, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show... The best way to help is to please help spread the word. How can you do that? Let others know about it by tweeting out that you're listening to this or one of your other favorite episodes. If you can, share a link to this episode on your Facebook. And please take just a couple of seconds to rate and review the show over an Apple podcast. It's incredibly helpful. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Anachronism22 from Canada where I love the poutine and the people, by the way. He says it's the best. The podcast brings joy, inspiration, and inspiration to Disney fans, planners, and kids at heart. Thank you, Lou, for the enthusiasm and wonderful content accompanying me on long runs, car rides, and any other time I get to tune in. You're simply the best. Thank you for that. Thanks from North Carolina, says JHLT4103, who says, just started listening, can't get enough. Lou helps keep the magic in my day in North Carolina until my family can get back home. When we became annual pass holders and DVC members, we thought we were going to get enough Disney, 
but obviously we didn't. Thanks, Lou, for the great work in bringing the Disney magic into our everyday lives until we get back home in September. My wife and three kids say thanks as well. Thanks to the Huddle family, Jimmy, Lauren, Noah, Sam, and Lucy, which, by the way, Huddle family, thank you one for listening. I love the fact that you listen together as a family. That's so very important to me. W Phoenix, I know who you are, says, lets me go without leaving my desk. Lou's descriptions are able to help me feel as if I'm in the parks with him. I always get hungry, shocker, when he talks about food and thinking about Walt and how he puts these parks together for us is amazing. I love this and I love WW Radio and the community. Thank you so much, Lou, for making us feel like family. Phoenix, JHT, Hutto Family, Anachronism 22, you are the one who creates this community and this feeling. Again, I just built the clubhouse. You are the ones who populate it. So thank you again very much. Again, to be part of the community, not just by listening, please go to www.radio.com slash community. It's our warm, friendly, family-friendly, drama-free group on Facebook. If you want to leave a review, again, you can just go to www.radio.com slash iTunes or search for WW Radio in Apple Podcasts. And finally, most importantly, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you from the bottom of my heart. I hope that this show and the live videos and everything else has made your day and your week happier and better and a little bit more positive and maybe it inspires you to be better. I hope that you start or continue to choose the good, to look for and find the good in everything that you see and do and that you spread some of those good feelings, those good vibes to other people. If there's some way that I can help you or thank you, please reach out to me directly. Let me know. Otherwise, I hope to see you on Wednesday from Epcot and Wednesday night in the community on Facebook. And again, back here next week. So until next time, see ya. Hi, Lou. It's Elizabeth from Massachusetts. I'm realizing that I haven't called in in a few weeks. Uh, time is literally flying by with everything that's going on in the world. Uh, but firstly, I hope everyone is safe and doing well. Um, I know that in a lot of places, things are now reopened. I know in Massachusetts they are, and it feels good to be able to sit outside at a restaurant and eat some food. Um, but I wanted to call in because I just listened to your recent episode about the villains which was awesome. I love when you incorporate your kids. Um, I hope they appreciate you as much as I know everybody in um, your WDW community does because it's so fun to have them on and they sound like little youth and it's awesome. Um, But let's see. So I wanted to call about who I feel like is one of my favorite villains of all time. And I actually, I guess this is kind of like a for type of situation, but um, is from Pirates of the Caribbean, and it is Captain Barbosa and our friend Jack Sparrow, who I think, and this is my all-time favorite movie, so I'm a little bit biased, but Barbosa is kind of clearly the villain of the Pirates, but I think it's interesting because we, as viewers of that movie, you know, perceive the Pirates sort of as the heroes. Um, but you do have to remember who they are and how they feel and plumage, and they're not maybe necessarily always the best people morally. So for a lot of people, I think, in that universe, um, you know, they're actually the bad guys. So I think, you know, they as characters sort of represent the good and the bad, I think, within people as a whole a lot of times. 
And I think there's a lot of good moments where you see redeeming qualities, especially with Jack and Barbosa maybe in the later films. But, yeah, I wanted to throw them out there as my favorite villains because I think they're awesome. <laughs> and I think that they represent a lot of different personality qualities. But when it comes down to it, I would kind of put them on the villain side, I guess. I don't know. I think they're a lot of both. But I think they um, are definitely my favorite. So, yeah, thank you so much, too, for all the work you do with this podcast and have done in the past years. I've been listening um, to you a lot, and I'm in the 340s now for episode numbers. So I'm excited that I've had this free time or a little bit more free time, especially in the summer. My summer camp that I work at um, was or is closed um, due to the COVID stuff. So, um, yeah, it's been nice, though, to sort of honestly take it slow, slow down and appreciate the little things, which I hope everyone is taking a moment to do. It's Elizabeth again. Sorry, I got bumped off because I was talking, talking too long. But, yeah, I was just saying I hope um, everyone is, you know, saying I love you to someone they haven't in a while, calling an old friend, or even reaching out to someone new. Um, like you always say, Lou, stay positive, find the good, um, because we are going to come out on the other end of this no matter what. So spread the positivity, be awesome every day, um, and tell people you're thankful for them because it's really important. So, yeah, I'll talk to you all soon. Have an awesome day, guys. Bye. Hi, Lou. Uh, my name is Joe Anderson from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I'm a little behind, but I just finished listening to your list of Disney villains, and i got to throw in a favorite of mine, and that's got to be Shere Khan. Uh, Shere Khan is this... Well, he, he is who he is, right? I mean, he's a tiger, and he is protecting himself from man. He just doesn't do anything other than what a tiger would do. I mean, the other animals hate him because he's the top of the food chain. And so <laughs> Shere Khan was one that came to my mind, and I just wanted to put him in the list of those villains. So enjoy your show. Have a good day. Hello, Lumangelo. It's Darlene Nagy, formally of West Seneca, New York, and I am calling in to say that we are only months away for the Marvel Cruise. I know I'm not going on the Marvel Cruise, but it is going to be one big blast with everybody that is on that cruise. You guys are going to have a fabulous time. I just want to say thank you for all you do, Lou, for keeping us grounded and moving forward through everything that's been going on in this world. It means the world to us. Um, the parks have now reopened. Um, you need a park reservation, which isn't as bad as we thought. Um, the parks are very manageable. If you want to go, um, you know, and come on a trip, just know that you can't park hop um, like we used to. So stay safe, please wear a mask, and keep your nose covered and socially distanced so we can get back to the new normal um, and be safe and love and hugs. Have a good day.
Six, five, four, three, two. 